0: Insights, interviews, and best practices by clinicians for clinicians. Welcome to GE Healthcare's Clinical View Podcast. Top Talk. Well, hello. It's Anesthesiology 2022 here in New Orleans, Louisiana. Top Mid Talk is here in the exhibit hall uh booth 2245 excited to be here another buzzing exhibit hall I'm Desiree Chapel. I'll be your host today and I'm joined by my co-host Professor Monty Mythen hello Monty
1: great to be here Desiree great to be here. I was just reflecting on where we were for our first ASA
0: yeah what was, where I was, it was I wasn't there oh
1: you were that's why, Thanks. I, couldn't, <laughs> that's why I couldn't remember what happened. so that must because I wasn't here
0: to remind you that must
1: have been <laughs> Boston It was Boston. Boston, So that's the only one you weren't at. But so welcome, Desiree. Thank
0: you, Monty. So
1: you've been with us that must have been you've been with us four years and three hundred and sixty four days or something. That's
0: correct. but five years at the ASA, every meeting that they've had, we've been here, haven't we? Yep,
1: yep, absolutely. Including when we weren't here.
0: Yeah, that's right. We were kind of here when we heard. Um, favored, yeah. Well, Monty, this is an amazing booth, Beautiful. isn't it? Like this is the evolution of where we've been. I think we started on the corner we, we lo- thought we had our yeah. very
1: own table. Yeah, <laughs> the always and uh and that seemed to work okay. And we've evolved through some lovely booze over time. But this is the pinnacle. We've it reached is. the pinnacle. Yeah. So. so we've reached the pinnacle for now.
0: But that's right. More There's always come. more to come. The more to come. Uh, Well, we do want to thank the American Society of Anesthesiologists for supporting us to be here. And the generosity of providing us this space. It's absolutely amazing. The live stream as well. So you may be watching at home. If you're not, and you're listening to this over the next couple of days, we actually are live streaming this entire event. It's at live.topmedtalk.com. That's live.topmedtalk.com. Check it out if you're listening. You can find all of our conversations that we um, are having throughout the meeting. The schedule is there. If you missed anything, you see the schedule and you missed it, you can go to live.ebpom.org. That is EBPOM, E-B-P-O-M, which is Evidence-Based Perioperative Medicine. Tell us just a little bit about that real quick, Monty. Uh,
1: 25 plus years ago, after I came back from Duke, which we'll talk about in a moment, to return to the UK to take up my position at University College London, I was hearing about this perioperative medicine thing, and we decided that it was the future. So we set up this conversation about evidence-based perioperative medicine that turned into a meeting, first in Ireland and then in London. And from then, 25 years later, it's lived on. EbPOM is a global presence. We have meetings around the world, London, Ireland, USA, Singapore is coming up in December. If you yeah. want to go to Singapore, Asia Pacific.
0: Right. Very good. Well you can find us. it there. Yeah. You can find all of our previous conversations, which we have worked with our next uh, speakers, GE Healthcare, in the past. Um, you can find those at topmentalk.com. So do check that out. But without further ado, we definitely want to get into our conversations today. And it is with my great pleasure that we introduce our, um, our guest. We have Dr. J.W. Beard. Uh, Eric Rudinger, and Dr. Guy Deer. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank now, you for having us. Now, JW, I am going to start with you first. Tell us just a little bit more about yourself. Uh, so I'm
2: an anesthesiologist. I'm the chief medical officer of GE Patient Care Solutions, which is one of the businesses that exists in GE Healthcare. We're the acute care business, essentially. We're providing technologies that are used predominantly in hospitalized patients today. That includes anesthesia delivery, patient monitoring, diagnostic cardiology, maternal infant care, some digital health products. And uh, it's for our anesthesia business that I'm here um, supporting GE this weekend.
0: Yeah, we see GE. They're they're very prominent. Yeah. That's yep. great. Yeah, that's wonderful. And
1: one of our biggest sponsors.
2: They are a wonderful Thank sponsor. You so Thank you Absolutely. so
0: much for um, all the generosity that you guys have shown us over the years. Um, for sure. Now, Eric... Why don't you introduce yourself?
3: So Eric Riedinger, I work closely with JW. I'm the general manager for anesthesia and respiratory care within the patient care solutions business of GE, so... I've been oh. in this job for a little over a year. Okay. Um, so relatively new to acute care and anesthesia. Yep. Spent yeah. some time in cardiology before then.
0: Oh, very good. Yeah. But okay. Thanks
3: for having yes. us. Well,
0: actually, what I have to highlight for Eric is not only the, the wonderful conversation that I'm sure we're about yes. to have, but you've got to show them your shoes. They Put like the shoes. shoes up there. Those oh. are amazing. Chucks that are GE Chucks. Yep. GE you Healthcare. Can, yeah. You know, Ch- is that what Chucks is?
3: We're in the process of, Converse? of spinning out as a public company. So these are just a, a subtle little nod to the 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 compassion purple that will be GE Healthcare going forward. Oh. so yes,
1: that's the subtle bit. GE Healthcare. Yeah, got it. which yeah. is the color and the GE.
0: Bit. Yeah. Okay, I'm <laughs> going to tell you. Now. If yeah. you want to win me over forever, a pair of those. What size? What size? I can't tell you on camera. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just use a <laughs> that is not She's <laughs> under contract. We'll work that out later. Of oh, no course. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and um, I, our last guest. I want to make sure we uh, have a chance to talk to you, Dr. Guy. Dear, thank you so much for joining. You're
4: welcome. So I um, go a long way back with this gentleman to my left, Uh about a quarter of a century actually I think. Um, I'm a pediatric anesthesiologist at Duke but you can probably tell by my accent that I trained in the UK um, at St. George's and Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital and then came over to Duke, and I've been there for a long time. But I was excited to work with GE on the project looking at end tidal control, which we'll get to talk about in a minute, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Guy, we, we're
1: going to talk about low-flow anesthesia, I think, as part of what we're going to discuss. Yes. Which immediately brings me back to the old hospitals in central London. We worked at different ones, but yep. they're, they're pretty much all the same. And, you know, they're giving volatile anesthetics, rotameters, mm-hmm. and um, high-flow anesthesia. So the gases were turned up high to right. try and keep the patient safe. The vapors were flowing. At that stage, they were escaping into the environment. We were mm-hmm. breathing them in as well, which wasn't very good for us. Right. And eventually, those things got better and better. And we started to work out ways of taking the carbon dioxide out of the circuit. And the flows, we thought, could go lower and lower. And yeah. certainly in our department, or every department I worked in, there was one enthusiast, usually, for low-flow <laughs> anesthesia. They stayed through the whole of their case, and they said, if I can get the knobs right down right, the to possible. a level, yep. and I can absorb the carbon dioxide, I just have to give enough oxygen that maxi- matches the oxygen consumption, and I can get down to a few hundred mils. And mm-hmm. we'd go in and say, that's great, not giving any names away, John watching <laughs> great john that's really fantastic i'm going back into my room and turning them back up because that's just too hard is that the world that
4: you grew up in as I, well i definitely remember that scenario absolutely <laughs> and there was always one or two people doing this crazy stuff and it seemed to be too much on the edge and yeah just too, too scary
1: yeah too scary and then suddenly it happened earlier in the uk than it happened in the usa these new anesthetic machines arrived And you said, I want the oxygen level to be that, and I want the vapor level coming out of the patient to be that. Yes. And it just happened. And now the younger people who've trained in Europe don't know that that there's a different way of doing it. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking this is just more recently happening in the USA. Is that right?
4: It's really just a brand new concept, and we're kind of excited that it's finally here. Um, again, talking to colleagues in other countries, we have good experience looking at these devices, but now it's, it's finally available in the U S it, it's great.
1: It's so brilliant that, that, um, as I say, we grew up through it. So, you know, in the same way that we didn't have mobile phones and the internet mm-hmm. and things like that, the youngsters in Europe have thought this is just normal. Right, that you yeah. hit the two buttons. So they say, well, it's not exciting. Mm hmm. Well, you know, it is exciting if it's new to you, <laughs> yes. and it's it's it makes life easy. It's great for the patient. Yes. You can get the depth of anesthesia right. And really importantly, it's good for the environment is a, is a factor that we're discussing now. So please, tell us more about that. I've done a lot of talking. Yeah, That's I, one of my problems.
0: Well, and actually, I was going to um, ask you, Dr. Beard, just walk us through a little bit about low flow. I mean, I know they went through that, but, you know, from what we've been seeing in the past and maybe, you know, where we're going.
2: Yeah, so I think t- to start, low flow, I think, is Historically, had many different definitions.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask. There may be definitions based upon the percentage of
2: the patient's minute ventilation, or is it a percent of rebreathed gas that would define low flow, or is it a specific volume flow threshold, like less than a liter per minute, or is it something that's more physiologic, like low flow is providing the amount of oxygen that patient is requiring metabolically per minute, and. I think where it sorts out is probably gonna be along the lines as, as recently discussed in the APSF newsletter. It's kind of a toward kind of getting towards that physiologic match, but making sure it's within the provider's level of comfort yes. in terms of where they're comfortable with the with the flows being set. I think the challenge with low flow is that it does require significant amount of vigilance compared to the the traditional free gas flow methods of really just putting in a ton of gas and not needing to adjust those flows over time but really with low flow outside of an automated system it Mm -hmm. does require constant vigilance to your oxygenation and your vapor levels
0: because the inhaled
2: anesthetic uptake changes throughout the course of the case
0: okay very very interesting because that's what i was trying to break down in my mind like you know as an anesthesia provider go in like mine said Turn you know turn the gases on, crank it up, and you're just set for the entire case. So, so, not so like for, that. A,
1: for everyone who's not in this or didn't live in that world, you, you let's just concentrate on the oxygen for a I'll second. I say turn, imagine, the so oxygen on. turn the oxygen up to a two liters. Nice high, well, whatever, a liters. nice High number. Yeah. To say that's a nice high number. Five. The liter. patient consumes maybe 250 mils. Let's imagine yeah. 70 kilogram person per minute. Everything that is in that 250 mils is gone. Gone. So that's a waste component of it. Coming out with the gas is the carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. So if you can put it into a, which we've been able to do for centuries now, if you put it into a closed system with a carbon dioxide absorber in it, you can reduce the flows down and down and down and down. But before you computerize that and automate that and get some smarts in it, it's potentially a more dangerous game because you're... close to the edge but they, we're going to tell us you've solved all of that now i'm guessing that's why we're here <laughs>
2: yes. yeah and i I think that the and it's not just you know kind of the observations from the clinical trial that that guy and his um colleagues led but it's it's part of the evidence that's been published from international locations where this type of technology is available and it does an excellent job an outstanding job of attaining and maintaining the set anesthetic and oxygenation targets. And so if you think about the beginning of a case, for example, right. maybe the busiest time for the anesthesiologist or that, the anesthesia professional, the patient's airway is secured, and now that person who may be alone is expected to get another line in, help position mm-hmm. that patient, et cetera. The whole time by the patient's volatile anesthetic uptake is, uptake is at its maximum. Yeah. And so you end up with kind of a higher flow, a higher, um, a higher uh, administration level of anesthetic. Next thing you know, ten minutes later, you've got your line in. You turn around that patient's hypotensive. We have blood pressures because in the tank <laughs> point, because at that point, the <laughs> anesthetic levels a bit higher than you wanted. Maybe you've got sterile hands at that point, and you know, but technology like intitle in control enables the. Anesthesia provided has set that level. Mm-hmm. So, for example, one MAC of whatever inhaled agent you're using, and then you can get to work on things. And the machine will keep that patient at one MAC based on that end tidal level. So it's a form so of
1: autopilot or fly by mm-hmm. wire. I'm sailing my ship. I need to do whatever. Mm-hmm. Hit autopilot. Hold the course. I'm flying the plane. I need to do whatever. Hit yep. autopilot. I
0: mean the course. Cool. Yeah.
1: Beautiful. That's right.
0: Beautiful. And so, like as as you're, in, you know, you induced your patient. You know, you're going to have a little hypotension. Sometimes we don't crank. You know, you don't turn the gas on, or you turn it on a little bit lower, and hoping that it can come on a little bit more slowly. Does is that all automated in this as well? The, like the rate of um, obtaining that particular MAC?
2: Yeah, and um, guy, I'd be interested to hear sure. your experience at this point. Because the induction period, there is a lot of change that yeah. goes on in induction. Yeah. And certainly, technology like end control clearly is, does an amazing job during maintenance, but I also think it has yeah. applicability during induction. Yeah. Guy, think, do you recall but, how you use it during induction? Induction
4: and, and emergence. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. obviously, we like the patient to wake up swiftly and safely at mm-hmm. the end. So it does help dramatically with purging vapor and okay. getting oxygen safe. But at the beginning, the provider can set the levels that you think are appropriate. The device will get to that set point within about 90 seconds very quickly oh. and then ramp down so the flows will drop and the agent will drop automatically and we'll get to the new set point. We talked about a high flow during induction. That's obviously sensible. We want to get the number of Mm -hmm. molecules of inhaled agent into the patient. But once we've got there, we don't want to overdo it. Right. The flows will cut down to the basal level, which might be 0.3 or 0.5 liters per minute. And we're now cruising at a safe and controlled fashion. And uh, not much is going out of the door.
0: That is incredible. I mean, as a clinician who struggles with that every, you know, every case, (laughs) thinking, you know, that you can have something that you... Do, because, I mean, there is a time period of right after induction, you're already worried about that. You don't necessarily want to, you know, dose them up with vasopressors until you know what the blood pressure is. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can unpack on that. That's really, really interesting. Um, JW mentioned that there was a study that you did. Can you walk us through a little bit about that?
4: Right. So this is a multi-center study uh, for different institutions. And we had patients who were either used the new device or just kind of standard anesthesia practice. And we compared and contrasted how they, how they got on. Um, and the interesting thing was that with all of the patients who were using the new device, got to their set points very quickly with not much overshoot um, and basically tracked along exactly the concentrations that were desired. Um, so we looked at that, um, comparing it with the manual practice, which, t- to be honest, was not that great. Um, When you watch what people actually do in the OR, they're either fiddling around Mm -hmm. trying to control it manually, not doing a terribly good job, or perhaps being busy doing other things, not having time to adjust it, and we found that the manual control was really fairly poor, whereas the automated device was amazingly accurate Mm -hmm. all the way through. Whether it was going up in concentrations at the beginning of the case, changes in the middle when more stimulation perhaps or then particularly at the end when you want to come down on your agent it would get rid of the agent so it's not it's not undermining the clinician it's enabling the clinician so you choose the you choose the the concentration yes and that's to me that was the beauty of it that it it enhanced our ability to get to the set points that Mm. we desired rather than hunting around trying to pick a place to go Yeah,
0: that's interesting. So question, you just mentioned that you would have these crazy people come in and change all your flows and then you change it back as soon as you came in. What is the adoption? Like what did, you know, your colleagues and the the participants in the study kind of talk about that? Was that one of those moments or was it like, wow, this is actually really useful?
4: I mean, we had a lot of comments and we asked people to be free and, and honest about what they thought. And the vast majority, I think it was about 90% of people said they really, really liked it. Yeah. And I, one comment sticks in my mind, which is set it and forget it. Yes. Um, and that, to me, is really helpful because I know and I have confidence that when I choose that concentration, it's going to get me there and it's going to stay there and I don't have to worry about changes. You can, um just also just if you think about the
3: the experience outside the United States too obviously okay. there ask, were four centers how long
1: have you had, had it for in the UK yeah. um the, I think the 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 a slightly
3: more than ten years exactly. no, yeah. since so 2011 or 2012
1: I, I, I don't think anyone does it the other way now right. yeah that's so right that's, so right. that's
3: so what that's that was uh, my uh, point. Like, is like, kind of like why would you really? almost a hundred yeah. it's almost a hundred percent adoption yeah. so oh, okay it's like standard of care in Europe
0: and was that was that a pretty widespread adoption pretty quickly or, yeah. 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 yeah, it was like, wow, this is a game changer. Yeah. yeah. Part, yeah. Of the, mm-hmm.
3: part of the reason there was a delay of a decade between Europe and here in the United States is, so the title control software is a class three medical device. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so the, the clinical studies Dr. Deer was referring to, you know, are ultimately tied to the PMA process. So, mm-hmm. you know, he, a lot of credit goes to, to Dr. Deer and the other, the other centers in this study, you know, mm. remaining persistent in the process of demonstrating to FDA that this thing that was Fine. out there in Europe and standard of care, you know, yeah. met the thresholds in this country for us to be able to bring the, the technology to market here as well. So.
0: Yeah. So where like, or how? Um, I, I remind me again, when did this technology get approved? It's been um, around here in the in US? the
3: spring so in okay. late march right. this, this a very year. End of the first quarter of this year okay yeah.
0: all right that's really interesting because it, you know i was would love to know like where is it right now and it, you know what's the penetration um i know as we're you know going beyond and looking at anesthesia machines and, and things like that um you know the options that we have there's a there are a lot of options out there yeah. this sounds like kind of a bit of a game changer for you guys
3: yeah we definitely think mm-hmm. so we're we're really early in the in the launch process, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. So obviously, if you if you come over and visit our booth, you can see you can see ET control in action. We have live live agent over there. Cool, so we'll do that. You can you can see it in real life, but you know we'll get to begin the commercial rollout of this here in the last you know couple of months, and yeah. we'll see that really gain traction. We think over yeah. the course of the next year or so.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Any other points that you guys wanted to sh- to share with about that tech- new technology? Yeah, I mean,
2: I would just. My initial reaction to seeing it in a simulated environment was like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's like yeah. I hear I heard about it. I'm like, that's oh right. my gosh, like we're finally gonna have this in the United States. And it is the the technology underpinnings of it are so robust and it performs so well. Mm-hmm. But the anesthesia providers end of it, it really is just establishing targets for the entitled anesthetic, targets for the entitled oxygenation. And then going about your business and doing the other parts of patient care, it doesn't add a technology burden to the anesthesia provider. Mm -hmm. And by removing those repetitive manual tasks associated with with delivering low-flow anesthesia, it's really... um, It's remarkable, and I think there was a question about the environment earlier. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. Yeah, the value proposition here regarding the environment. So it facilitates low-flow anesthesia and lower inhaled anesthetic use. So there's
1: less waste because you recycle the agent as well. You don't waste the. That's exactly right. So there's
2: inhaled anesthetics are potent greenhouse gases. And um, there have been, been some studies that estimate the carbon footprint that comes from mm. anesthesia delivery within health systems. I believe there's some data from mm. NHS, actually, which yeah. attributes a sub- substantial portion of their greenhouse gas emissions to anesthetics. Mm. Um, so it's by supporting low flow and reducing anesthetic waste, it has that, that favorable environmental Impact and then you know lower anesthetic use is lower cost as well.
1: And Guy, Doctor Dear, is the study published now or is it pre-publication?
4: Uh, well, we have a, a poster presentation at the ASA today, Great. and we're having a, a slide presentation tomorrow. So Excellent. it will be published, and we're looking to to write this up more formally for a journal submission Excellent. in yeah. the near future. Choose, choose well. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Watch the slides tomorrow. <laughs> Excellent. We're looking forward to yeah,
0: it. Yeah. So, just wrapping up, guys, value proposition of this new technology. The technology is in title. Say it for me one more time, Eric.
3: In title control software.
0: In title control software. That's right. And value proposition for that definitely ease of use for providers. I think that's a push it, yep. set it, and forget it. it. Forget it. Um, yep. Greenhouse gases, and I would assume patient safety.
4: Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, You guys should speak to that. Yeah, Dr. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the ability to have this device helping you get to those set points quickly and safely definitely um, makes the provider more confident that what they deliver is what they want and what will be appropriate for the patient. Yeah. And it changes very fast, which is also Fabulous! Yeah,
0: absolutely, gentlemen. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sitting down with us on Top Med Talk to talk about this really cool, new, interesting technology. And thank you for wearing the shoes, Eric. And we'll, cool. we'll figure we'll be, that out.
1: G, so, GE Healthcare. What yeah. you, what yeah. you, what's, what's that all about? Then I've just noticed that the, yeah. I think yeah. you touched on it a little bit before. We, it's a new thing.
2: Yeah, will well, be ge- an independent company. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, GE
3: announced uh, a while ago that yeah. that it's splitting into three separate businesses. So. G Healthcare will be the first of the G businesses to to ultimately go out on its own. Excellent. Uh, we said a few weeks ago that that'll happen in the, the very early part of 2023. So we'll keep the name, uh, slightly different font, new color, <laughs> capital C for care. Excellent. Uh, but we're excited about it. It'll be, I like you it. Know, obviously we're very focused on... Yeah innovation and, and doing that as a standalone company will be exciting. Focus problems. on
2: patients, focus on clinicians Absolutely. and yeah. technology to meet their needs.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Very, very good. If you're interested in more conversations that we've had GE with some of the new technology that you guys have been doing and more further to this conversation, you do, do check us out at Tom and We have those from this past summer when we were at ESA and um, lots of really great conversations throughout um, the last year. So do check that out.
4: Tom talk.
0: Do check us out for our live stream from Anesthesiology 2022, live.topmedtalk.com. You can hear all of our amazing conversations live during Anesthesiology 2022. You can find the schedule for all of those at live.topmedtalk.com. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Clinical View Podcasts, brought to you by GE Healthcare. Expand your view at clinicalview.gehealthcare.com.